Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com? and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Okay, let's get started. It's been an interesting journey in 1 Peter. Hopefully it's been helpful to you guys as we've talked about some things that are kind of hot topics a lot of times, at least culturally. You know, we talk about government and the idea of submission. We talked about uh, slaves and masters. The whole idea of slavery is one that is just shrouded, you know, in some, I don't know, bad juju in our history. Um, We've talked about wives in relationship with husbands, the whole idea of submission, what is thought there. And then last week we talked about husbands. And we're going to be continuing in First Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 8 and go through verse 12. And so let's read that together. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It starts off here and it says, finally. And we have to, again, look at that word finally because he's still got another uh, two chapters to go. So he's not like, finally, this is the last thing I want to say. But this is really kind of summing up what he has been talking about 
since we've been talking about the idea of submission, uh, the idea of recognition of others, recognizing that our lives in whatever position we find ourselves in have a purpose that is deeper than where we find ourselves in. So it's bigger than the fact that you live in a country that has a government that's oppressive. It's bigger than the fact that you work or under a master or an employer, even in our case. It's bigger than the fact that you're a wife. And again, maybe you were given over in marriage as Peter was talking to a culture where that was prominent. And a lot of times the young, really, girls married at 13 years of age, given in marriage to someone who might not even have known who Jesus is. Your life is bigger than the position that you find yourself in. And what a revelation that is. What would happen if you recognized that your circumstances did not hold you? How freeing would that be to know that your environment is not the limit of what your life could be? That your limit is found in God and not in your circumstances. And so he's saying, finally, I've been talking to you guys and I want you to see this big picture. Finally, all of you, that means husbands, that means wives, that means servants, that means masters, that means people who are under the government. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Wow. These are things that are what matter. These are the things that matter most in all of these situations. And I think if we grab hold of what he is conveying here, that it can bring peace to our lives. I think what Peter is trying to tap into with all the people he's speaking to, people who are suffering under persecution, he's trying to connect them to something that is actually going to liberate them. And so he starts off and he says, unity of mind. Now, this doesn't mean I want all of you to think the same. It means I want all of you to have the same understanding about this big picture. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And so here is the mind that Jesus had, that his life was connected to God, and it was bigger than just his physical life, that it was actually given for a purpose that God had. Even though he was God, he humbled himself. This unity of mind is connecting to the mind of Christ that just as Christ submitted to the will of God for something that was much bigger, that's what we have the unity of mind in. It is that the same God who loves me loves you. And it doesn't matter who you are. 
and he's speaking to those who belong to faith, but by all means, that's where it needs to show up first. Because that is where there is so much division. And we have to realize that, you know, we are in this together. I don't have the right to God. I don't have him and I have him all figured out. And this is what you have to come along and believe like I do if you're going to be a part of what God is doing. No, I have to be a part of what he is and who he is. And that's really what captures us. It's something that we have in common and we find so many things to be upset about or find disagreement about. We have theological issues. You know, is there speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues, uh, Armenianism, Calvinism. We have, you know, uh, tribulation, pre, post, mid. We have so many things that divide us And those become the central points to so much of what happens. There are so many conferences that are put on that are talking about all why everyone else is wrong and we're right. There are so many things that are different among us. I listen and I shouldn't do this, but I do this every now and I listen to people who I don't really care for in their position because I want to see what are they saying about, say, the political climate. And I start listening and then I find myself getting really upset because like, oh, man, how could they say? And I just feel like they're pushing fear and I feel like it's just not healthy. But you know what? God loves them just as much as he loves me. And we are on the same team, whether I like how they pitch or not. This is how it is. And a unity of mind says, you know what? I want to see the love of God extended to you just like it's been extended to me. And even though I don't agree with your positions on this or that or the other thing, that doesn't stop the fact that Jesus loves you and has given himself for you and you've acknowledged that. That's what matters. That's really what matters. And what would happen if we really live like that was what matters? Like, oh, I disagree about that and I think you're wrong here and I think you interpret the scriptures different and wrong in that way. But you know what? God is big enough. He's graceful enough. Man, he's been graceful to me. I'm sure he's just as graceful to you. Why would we want to be divided about these things? And why this is so important is because oftentimes what we are saying when we start dividing and stopped having a mind of unity, what we start saying is that God is for us, but he's not for you. It becomes an implication. That we've got the right way, you've got the wrong way. God is for us, but he's not for you. And those are the things that Jesus got really upset about. That's why he threw the the tables over in the temples because they were making it difficult to worship God. And he was doing everything he could to break down the barriers that man was putting up to try and get to God. And he was saying, no, this is all wrong. God is closer than you can imagine and you are trying to distance people and we don't want to be in that boat. And, and so having a unity of mind comes at the top of this list. Recognize what's important. 
I think one of the things that is helpful, at least to me, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday, we had communion together. And everyone was sitting at their tables. And, you know, as I was kind of watching everyone at their table, I was looking at the diversity of people in our community. You know, we've got people from different countries. We have people from different age groups, people definitely of different ethnicities and all these things. And everyone's sitting at the table. And really this is kind of a, a unifying thing. We all need this food. We all need this sacrifice. We, we all need the body of Christ. We all need the salvation, this new covenant that's been poured out for us. We, we all meet here and we're all the same when we're at this table. I, I have no position over anyone when I sit at this table and I break bread with you. I'm in need of this just like you are. And just like food strengthens your body, the body of Christ provides for you what it provides for me. The blood of Christ provides for you what it did for me. And this is where we have unity of mind, is at this table. We can all sit down and we can eat and partake and say, yeah, this is who we are. And that would be a powerful thing if we could all embrace that. And then he continues kind of in the same thing. He goes on and he he gives us a list. And lists aren't always fun. I'm not a big fan of lists. But this is more than a list. What he's doing is he's painting a picture. He's painting a picture of the character that we're supposed to have. And so after this unity of mind, he talks about sympathy. And sympathy is when we are bent towards acts of mercy. Sympathy is when something happens and you go, oh, you know, you feel bad about it. Like a video and a kid falls off his tricycle and you go, oh, you have sympathy. And more than that, it's especially to those who are weak or distressed. You you have sympathy, you care about them. This is something that you see in a very familial place. And that's really kind of what he's talking about. You know, if you're at a a playground and a kid falls off the the jungle gym or monkey bars or whatever they're called nowadays, I don't know. If you see a kid fall off, the first person who's probably there over the kid is probably the mom. She's probably the one who's fussing over them the most. We were at Sam and Sonia's the other day. I forget what it was, a holiday or I forget what it was, but the kids were swimming and we were there and Corrine was sitting next to me and our grandkids were in the pool and boy, she was like up every, where's, where's someone? She was like jumping up to see who was where, why? Because she's got that concern and and that's what sympathy does is it moves you towards this act uh, of just caring it moves you towards this place of you you're wanting to make sure everyone's okay especially those who are weak or distressed and there's a natural bent that i think a mother has towards a child that we are to have towards each other as well this kind of like are you okay i want to make sure you're okay and so that consumes how we feel, and that should be part of what's seen within us. And and then he goes on after sympathy, he says brotherly love. And again, here's that family aspect. You belong to this family because Jesus has brought you into this family. 
The one thing about family is you don't choose them. You just get born into them, right? My kids had no choice. Kareen's their mom. I'm their dad. They're stuck. Not only are they stuck with us, they're stuck with each other. You know, when you have more than one sibling, how many times do they say, I hate you. I wish you weren't my brother. I wish you, you know, too bad. They're not going away. Live with them. It's how it is. That's a very true sense of what we have in community. Guess what? This is your family. Well, I want to pick my family. You don't get to pick your family. You get who you get. And it's important to recognize that just like you don't choose them and you're stuck with them, family becomes something that is foundational to our lives, even though we don't always like it. I know many of us, there are some who might be exceptions, but many of us, family has bailed you out and helped you at some point in your life. Was it because you were always a great kid? No, it's because you had family, all right? It's when you weren't the great kid that mom or dad stepped in and helped in spite of that. And you might have gotten some words with that, don't be so stupid, or why would you do something like this as they're bailing you out of whatever situation or jail. Um, (laughs) Then he goes on and he also says, a tender heart. And this has to do uh, with the idea of compassionate. It's interesting when it talks about Jesus having compassion, the the words that are used for Jesus having compassion are the same as that of a horse snorting. Isn't that strange? And, And I thought about when a horse snorts, it just seems so deep, right? It's just... It's like the whole animal shakes. And this idea of compassion is it's to the core. It's powerful. Compassion isn't passive. It's aggressive in that sense. It's something that is moving. And that we would be affectionate and compassionate in our hearts towards one another. I mean, think of it. What arrogance is it to see someone struggle and to be in judgment over them. Who are you to judge that person's struggle? When Jesus was moved with compassion. And so when you see a person struggle, do you think, especially if it's a person you're not fond of, do you think, ha, good, how arrogant. How out of character from Christ is that to see something along those lines? It, it, it's, it doesn't mean that you don't speak the truth to them. A lot of times, the most compassionate thing you can do is actually speak the truth. We had a person come to our house a few months ago, it was, well, quite a few months ago, probably seven, eight months ago, I think. And they came to our house and they were wanting help. They were homeless at the time. 
and they came to our house, but we knew they had just been at someone else's house. They, they made these accusations that, you know, they were being mistreated and this was happening to them. And so we started inquiring about that. We called their family to find out what's going on. Their family says they just will not stop their problem behavior with drugs and the addiction. They've opened the home that we opened up to them, to their friends, and pretty soon their house became a a drug, you know, haven for people and had to kick them out. And we confronted them with this and said, hey, we talked to your parents. Oh, they're lying. You know, they just kind of said they're lying. And we, we talked to your friend who put you up in their house and they said that you actually stole some medication. Oh, they're lying. They're lying. And then they got just arrogant and violent and said, listen, we can't help you continue in that vein. We're not going to continue allowing you to live the same life. We're not going to just give you something so that you can keep accusing and abusing and doing these things. It doesn't mean we're not compassionate. We will help you get into a rehab or a home. Oh, you guys are all the same, but they didn't want that. And so they left. Angry, upset. You see, it's hard. We want to help you, but you keep wanting to destroy yourself. The compassionate thing to do is to hold you accountable to the life that you're living and help you get out of it, not help you to continue in it. That's a compassionate thing. But then to stand in a place and say, oh, that person, they're so stupid. Whoa. I don't have that right. God looks at them like you would look at your own kid who is in that situation, and your heart would break for them. God's heart breaks for them. Your heart should break for them. See, tender heart is something that becomes foreign to us when someone is outside of our lines that we like. It's easy to be upset and want bad to happen to people who don't agree with us. Look at our political climate. Many of you see the video where Hillary stumbles and falls. How many of you were glad that that happened? How many would feel like, well, good, that'll show? How many of you then stopped and prayed for Hillary that she would be okay, whether you want to vote for her or not? How many of you know that God cares about her soul, her body, and her condition? And if you don't, you're not acting like God. I'm not saying you should vote for her. But I'm saying, what is your attitude? Is it tenderhearted or are you hardened because you don't like it? That's just political. It happens in so many arenas. And this is calling us out, helping us to understand. You, You know what it's like to be broken. You know what it's like for God to show grace to you. You know what it's like to be in need of his help and strength and comfort. If you know what that's like, then show that towards others because compassion is courageous. Compassion extends itself. Compassion is bigger than you. Compassion is the heart of God. 
And then he talks about a humble mind. Humility, the Romans used to use that same word to mock Christians because they were small and insignificant. So they're so humble. That means they have no power. That was the mindset that the Romans would use for those who were followers of Christ. And Peter's taking that words and, and word and he's now flipping it. He's turning it into a positive character of God's people. You see, a humble mind is a mind that sees the importance of others. Humility is Jesus, the, the King of kings and Lord of lords, being born in a manger, not growing up in a prestigious environment, not ruling over people, but serving people. That's a humble mind. That has an attitude in it that people are here who are important, and I'm here to help them. That's a humble mind. It's giving of ourselves. You see, Peter is anticipating that we will identify these characteristics towards each other. That this is going to be how we feel about one another. That we're going to have this unity of mind. That we're going to be sympathetic. That we're going to be compassionate. We're going to have that tender heart. And that we're going to have a humble mind where we see people as more important. And there are times when I catch myself, you know, I'll be somewhere and someone will come up and maybe it's someone who has, I don't know, just irked you. Someone who's rubbed you the wrong. Maybe you've had a confrontation with this person in the past. Or maybe it's a person who every time you talk to them, they just want to unload all the bad that's happening in their lives. And it's just been draining. Okay, they come up to you and they go, oh, how are you? And you just almost don't want to ask. Cause they're like, how are you? Here it comes, you know. And then they start telling you, oh, well, there's this and there's this and there's this. And I've had this attitude. I've since repented and I don't have it anymore ever again. No, I've had this attitude every now and then when someone comes, it's like, oh, man, here they are. And they're going to just come and they're going to labor me with the issues going on in their life. You see, shame on me. Shame on you if that's you. That's not a humble mind. There are people who come into our community and yeah, they're from a different country or a different place that they've grown up and they have a different way of doing things and it's not the way you're used to doing things and of course the way you're used to doing things is good, right? And what we really want in the church are people who agree with us. We want people who are like us because then it's easy because we're awesome, right? I mean, we just kind of want someone who agrees with us. And then when someone comes in here and they start doing things, it's like, oh, man, that's just so strange. Why would you do that? How could you just ask someone of that thing? That just seems so out of place in my world, but that's their world. And your idea isn't a humble mind. You start just thinking, oh, I don't really want to talk to them. And do you ever think that Jesus wants to talk to them? But you don't? Well, woe to us for this attitude. You see, we can talk about it. It sounds all good. Oh, yeah, we got to have a humble mind. But I know how it shows up in my life, and so do you. That's what Peter is trying to deal with. These things that are a part of us, that are inside of us. 
you know, we like to have a study on humility. Give me a Bible study about humility so I can know what it is, and then I can say I I have it. Because we seem to think that if I know about it, it's the same thing as actually having it, and it's not. Knowing about something doesn't mean it's a part of your life. You can know it backwards and forwards. You know the Greek. You know how it's been used, how many times it's used in Scripture. But if it's not showing up in you, you don't know it. You know about it. And often, that's what happens. And that's why people have a hard time sometimes meeting like in small groups. Because I don't want it to be intimate. I don't want to have to talk to someone or I don't know who's in the small group. I'll go to a small group if my friends are in the small group, but I don't want to go into a small group where some people that, you know, I'm not really close to them are in the small group. Why? Because you don't have a humble mind. It's the truth. And it's easy to be humble and compassionate when you're not around people. Have you noticed that? I'm the most compassionate person until I have to be around people that bother me. Then I'm not. See, if you're not around anyone that you have to show compassion to, you probably feel pretty good about yourself. Man, I could be really compassionate. You know, really? Who do you hang? I don't hang around people, but man, if the opportunity comes, I will be so compassionate. Often when people rub us the wrong way, what we do is just distance ourselves from them so we don't have to put the effort. But is that what God has done towards you? When you have fallen, when you have rebelled, when you have struggled, when you have just been defiant against God, did he not want to hang out with you or did he pursue you? What if we were the kind of community that looked for the people who bugged us and said, I'm going to spend time with them? You think it wouldn't affect those people? You wouldn't affect their friends? Do you think they wouldn't say, oh, you should come to this church. Everyone is so good. And their friends might say, man, you irk everybody and they like you? How's that? I got to see this place, right? I've got to go there. It's like the woman at the well. She runs into the town and says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. And everyone's thinking, what? Why is that good news? We know what you've done. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Jesus didn't tell her everything she ever did. But what happened is she knew that he cared about her even though he knew her dirt. And so she could go into town and say, he knows everything about me and I want to know him more. Wow. That's what this attitude does, is it's a draw, this unity of mind, knowing this is what we're about, this compassion, this sympathy, This tender heart, this humble mind is the heart of Christ. If we don't embrace this, what we do is become cynical. And pretty soon, oh, look at them. Oh, I don't like that. 
you know, and the thing about cynicism, the great thing about cynicism is that you're never disappointed. There's always something to be cynical about. But the sad thing about cynicism is you will never change anything if you're cynical, including yourself. And so if you find this attitude of cynicism, understand that you're stuck and you don't have a humble mind. And Peter is trying to just destroy this mold of culture, of being a person of power means a person of authority. And from the beginning where he's talking about governments or he's talking about masters and slaves or husbands and wives, he's trying to destroy this image of authority and show that power belongs to the one who submits to God and realizes that they're free in that way. See, it's like you got to see that we're all in a giant minivan on vacation. We'd get in the van with our kids and we'd travel up north or something and you're going to be in this van for eight hours. And that was before they had the TVs and all the video things. We would have to find things for the kids to do. Get a color book, get this. Hey, leave me alone. He's touching me. You know, all that. Hey, you're in a minivan with, you know, all of us going to San Francisco. And you're shoulder to shoulder and that's your family. Have the right attitude as you're going there in those things. And and then he goes on in verse 9. He quotes the Psalms and just, or not yet, not yet. Wait a second, not yet. Verse 10, he goes, in verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. You were called to bless. Just so you know that, you've been called to bless. Isn't that amazing? This is why you were called. You were called to bless. How are you doing on your calling? Are you blessing? Because that's why you were called, was so that you could bless. For this you were called, to bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain blessing. And this is kind of known as enemy love. Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. That sounds great as long as you don't have to really do it. Or you're the one who's hurt someone. Hey, you know, Jesus said, you know, you're to... Bless those who who hurt you. So come on, give it. Um, But it's a difficult thing when you've been hurt because our action is to retaliate. And what Peter is really telling us, what Jesus is telling us, is I'm going to forego my right to retaliate. That I'm not going to try and get even. That I'm not going to try and make you pay for what you've done for me. Again, it doesn't mean you aren't wise in how you deal with people. Understand, again, what he's talking about is you're here to bless. You've been called to bless. Someone hurts you, how can you bless them? Someone does 
something wrong or, or, or does, how can you bless them? Blessing them doesn't mean giving them whatever they want. It means helping them to get to God. That's what a blessing is. How can you bless? Now think about this, okay? I, I just, you know, this is one of the things I think we have a hard time doing. We don't respond well, at least in our culture a lot of times. We respond in a way that is very much vindictive many times when something rubs us the wrong way. I don't think Peter would be impressed with a lot of our Facebook quotes. I don't think Peter would say, yeah, good one. That's a good zinger there. You really showed them. You showed that Republican. You showed those Democrats where it's at. See, I don't think Peter would be impressed with our idea because I don't think we're trying to bless. And so someone posts something that just irks you. You know, whatever side of the aisle you're on, they just post something and you just disagree with it completely. And your idea is to respond. But how are you going to respond? Are you going to say, hey, man, how are you doing? I pray you're doing well. Love you, man. Or is it going to be, oh, yeah, well, what about this? Right? And and I see these things, and I I just should stop seeing these things. I should turn, I should just turn away. Um, But I'll see something, and someone will post something, and then someone responds back. Well, that's stupid, brother. And then they respond back. Well, yeah. And pretty soon they're dropping F-bombs, and it's like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? It's just because they posted something, and someone decided not to bless. I'm going to show you where it's at. You know, people would probably come to your way of thinking if they saw that you loved them more than anyone else. If you cared about them and people more than anyone else, who wouldn't want to be a part of what you're a part of? Right? If I was a person who loved in a way like God loves, if I blessed like Jesus blessed, who wouldn't agree with what I would have to say? If we were a part of that kind of, that's why Christianity changed the world because they loved each other. They cared about each other. They gave of themselves sacrificially. They esteemed others more important than themselves. They gave their life for this cause and reached people in spite of what it did to them. And the world saw that and said, wow, that is powerful. And it changed the world. But now we don't respond well. We want to respond in a way that makes the other person look dumb, makes me look right. There, I responded. And if I can get a a quick wit in and shut them up, ha, I won. Is that blessing? This isn't passive, it's active. Bless those who've wronged you and reviled you. That's not doing nothing. That's actually doing something. And so it's not like, okay, you can abuse me. No, I'm going to step in and I'm going to let you understand where I'm coming from, that God loves you and cares for you. It doesn't mean you have to stand in the line of fire. If someone's throwing punches, you can move. But I'm going to retaliate with prayer. I'm going to ta- retaliate with care. I'm going to show you the love of God first and foremost, because that's 
why I've been called. That's why you've been called. Who are your enemies? They're the ones who would be an antagonist towards you. Peter wants us to see people, whether they're family and faith or those outside who are against them, to see them through the heart of love, to know how to talk, act, and to bless them. And then in verse 10 through 12, he gives an illustration. We're wrapping up here in Psalm 44. This is where it's from. And he says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This attitude has been the way that God works, that he is on our side when we are caring, when we are loving. Remember earlier he said to wives, who knows that by your conduct, you might win your husband. And then he told husbands that your bad attitude towards your wife and not recognizing her position is a reason your prayer isn't answered. What's going on? Well, God answers those who are in line with his character. And so when our character is out of alignment with who God is, then the answer to prayer isn't there. Then we feel like he's against us because we are really against him. And this attitude is important. This is what God is dealing with. And what I think is interesting about the first part of this is the idea, the focus of actually how we respond is our speech. Isn't that interesting? He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. You want to see good? Watch how you talk. Watch who you slander. Watch how you badmouth people, and you'll see good days. Isn't that amazing? The things you say are the things that determine whether you're going to see good days and desire that life that God has for you. Let his lips keep from speaking deceit. Jesus said, in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and 45. And this is, I think, J.B. Phillips's translation. He says, It is impossible for a good tree to produce bad fruit. As impossible as it is for a bad tree to produce good fruit. Do not men know what a tree is by its fruit? You cannot pick figs from briars or gather a bunch of grapes from a blackberry bush. A good man produces good things from the good stored up in his heart, and a bad man produces evil things from his, own, from his own stores of evil. For a man's words will always express what has been treasured in his heart. What are your words? What are your words towards people? What are your words towards people who you disagree with? What are your words towards the people who are part of your family and your church family? What are your words tells us what the fruit is inside of you? Is it critical? Is it condemning? 
or is it encouraging and blessing? What word will you use for those in your family who don't see things eye to eye? Towards those who are outside of your family, to those who are in a different political circle, to those who are in a different, uh, you know, church belief. Those who see things differently theologically than you. What are your words towards them? We don't repay evil for evil or insult. And really what Peter is trying to get us to understand is don't fool yourself and think that when you say something hateful that it's coming out of a righteous place. Don't think when you talk bad about something that you have the right to talk about it because you are in a position that is able to look down on anybody. Don't fool yourself. When you talk bad about somebody and you don't bless, that's coming from a character inside of you. And that character is opposed to the heart of God. And then you miss out on the blessings of God. And he says here, he puts it in a very abstract place. His ears are open to the prayer of those who love and care, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Doing evil is what you say towards those people as much as it is the things that you do. And so this is really a a heart check in this area that I found very discomforting going through this and challenging. Hopefully you didn't find it that way and you're all better than I am in this. Um, Are there any questions on this passage or some of the things I mentioned, thoughts you have on it? about it. Anyone here not need this? You're all okay. (laughs) It's good to be aware, but then it's good to grow so that you... So let me ask you this. How do you stop from doing that? How do you stop from saying those things over and over and over again? I think he gave us a, 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 a calling here. Blessing. What if instead of going there, you bless them. So you find that person who disagrees with you or who's who's bothered you, who you responded, and instead of, you know what, I want to say something, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that God would touch their heart and pour love into them and grace that, you know, the rain would fall on their life and produce something wonderful. And take away the stronghold that that attitude has in you because you were called to bless. You weren't called to judge. So that might be a way that we can kind of reverse this attitude that's so prevalent in us of wanting to act in an attitude of superiority or whatever instead of a humble mind. I'm going to pray for that person. Oh, here they come again. Oh, man, they always just kind of, man, Lord, bless them. Just rain your mercy and grace on their life and help me to do that to them. And, and maybe they needed to be confronted with their complaining. 
you know, how can I bless them? What would Jesus want to say to them? Let me pray for you. Let me pray that you see the goodness of God's mercy on your life. You know, I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to criticize them. I'm just going to try and point their direction in the right way. Maybe that'll be a blessing. But it takes time. I'd rather go hang out with my friends. We're going to go eat Mexican food. You know, can I just, you know, oh, no, I need to, I need to bless over here. I'm telling you, we're just so self-indulgent. And it shows. It's why we're powerless so many times, so many ways. Any other thoughts? You guys are awful quiet. Okay, let's pray. Father, there are so many areas that stuck me through these passages. And as I was just looking into this, God, that um, I'm guilty of God. I do not have a humble mind, and I am very self-serving so many times, God. And um, Lord, I, I don't act as if I've been called to bless. Oftentimes, I act as if I've been called to judge, and, and I justify it with Scripture, and I justify it with facts, and I, I justify it with so many things but the thing I cannot justify is that you have rescued me and you want to rescue everyone just like you've rescued me. Lord, that's where I stand. That's where we all stand. And so help us to have this mindset just like Jesus, God. Father, may we desire this unity. May we want to be sympathetic, Lord, towards people and tender-hearted towards people, God. May we want to see others do well. May we recognize that we've been called to bless. And ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.